eyes. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we can hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Pastor Gary concluded a two-week kind of mini-series about faith for every season. And he talked about what it means to walk out your faith no matter what it is that you're facing, no matter how long you might have to keep walking and waiting to get the thing that you're believing for, but to continue no matter what's happening in your life to believe God and to walk out your faith. I think it's important that all of us know and understand that faith is so much more than what we believe in our heart and what we think with our mind. Faith will always be determined by what we do with what we believe. It's not just about our belief system, it's about the action that defines what we believe. If I believe it, therefore I choose to act upon it. And when it goes from being belief to being substance, that's when we can then call it faith. Faith is the substance of what we're hoping for. It's not just hope, it's not just belief, those are ingredients, but until that becomes substance, it's not yet faith. Faith is always walking out the thing that we say we believe. And you know, sitting in church last week, I was so inspired. How many people were inspired? If you were here last week by that testimony that John and Sarah gave about the healing that's happened in their little boy's life, it was just amazing. And I know that we heard so many awesome testimonies and just reports. There were so many people just coming back and talking about how encouraged they were um, over the last two weeks in church. And as I sat in church last week, I knew I was going to be preaching this week, and I was praying a lot. I'm like, God, what is it that you would want me to share? And just during service, I felt like God just brought to memory some things that I've already shared in the past, actually. And so I want to bring a message to you that I actually preached here in our church about four years ago. And some of you will remember it, but if you don't, then I'm excited to bring it to you for the first time. But I believe that God's given me a few new things to go along with this. So if you have your Bibles and you're taking notes this morning, I want to bring you a message called, So Be It. So Be It. And if you have your Bible, would you join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, for me growing up, I was taught a lot of things about God and taught a lot of the spiritual, if you want to call them disciplines, a lot of the things that Christians do growing up in a pastor's home and in a Christian home. And, you know, like many of you or most of you, you know, we pray. I hear my parents pray. My parents taught me to pray. We would pray for our meals. We would pray when we went to bed at night. My dad would, you know, tuck my brother and I in and he would say goodnight to us. And we would always pray the last thing we do at the end of the day. And, you know, it's kind of a habit, it's kind of a ritual that when we get to the end of the prayer, what's the very last word that we say at the end of our prayer? Amen. amen. Have you ever stopped to think about why it is that we say amen at the end of our prayer? I mean, it's kind of a funny question to ask when you've just done it over and over. And if you understand what it means, it might even be a funny question for you to ask. But if we don't know why we say amen, then it's almost as if we use that word to finish our prayer. And if that's all that it means, then we could just basically say this. And we thank you, Father, for this meal. In Jesus' name, I'm done. I'm finished. That, that's the end. That, that was, those are my last words, God. So go ahead and bless that food, and I'm going to eat it now. I, I'm done praying. I'm going to eat now. Like, we could just say that if the word amen didn't have a real meaning behind it. But when you look throughout Scripture, it's interesting because you see this word amen that's in the Hebrew, which just phonetically got translated into the New Testament Greek, also amen. And now in English, we just kept it going. We didn't change the word. We phonetically sounded it out, and we say it, amen or amen. And the word means truth or verily or so be it or let it be or let it happen. That's literally what that word means. We see it all throughout Scripture. There's not a place in the Bible where it's commanded that this prayer doesn't count unless you say amen is the very last word. There's no commandment that says you have to say amen if you want to end your prayer. 
But we see it throughout Scripture that when the psalmist made a declaration, he would say amen. The Apostle Paul actually concludes many of his writings by saying amen. We see John in his revelation finishing it by saying amen. The disciples asked Jesus, they said, teach us how to pray. And when Jesus got to the end, he said, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. In other words, so be it. That was truth. Let it now come to pass. And I never understood what that word meant, honestly, until I got into high school. And I grew up saying it. I was taught that by my parents. And I remember when I got into high school, I went to a Christian school, okay? And I had this one teacher, and I think most of my teachers would pray at the beginning of our class. But, you know, that's something that you do in Christian school. You certainly don't do that at the beginning of every public school class. But most of our teachers would pray at the beginning of class. And I had this one teacher, and when she would, uh, she would pray before class, she would always get to the end of her prayer, and before she could finish, she would say, in Jesus' name, and she would look up at the entire class, waiting for us to say, amen. And if the entire class did not join in and say, amen, she would look at us and she would say, say amen. And we were like, okay, and we would be like, amen. And she says, do you know why you need to say amen? Because amen means so be it. It means that if you agree with the things that I just prayed, then you need to come into agreement and say, so be it. That is truth. Let it be done in my life. And I'd never really taken that to heart to understand exactly what it is that that word meant and why we say it when we pray. And once I understood that, it meant it just really came alive. And it's kind of funny that it took so many years for me to understand that. So fast forward a few years in my life. I remember before I got married to my wife, I was sitting in church, and I had discovered what the call of God was for my life. I had this burning desire inside. I knew that God was calling me to be in church ministry. I had this desire to preach and, and to teach God's word. I'm sitting in church one night next to my wife, who I was just dating at the time, and my pastor, his wife was preaching that night, and she, in the middle of her message, said, Zach, I want you to stand up. I have a word for you. And I'm like, whoa, here we go. What's, what's going to happen right now? And so I'm standing up in front of the whole church, and she says, Zach, I know that you are a yes person. You have said yes to God. Yes, you believe in the promises of God. But I believe that God wants to say to you tonight that it's time from going, or excuse me, it's time to go from being a yes person to being an amen person. And I didn't, understood what, I didn't understand what that meant that night. It sat heavy on me because I thought, well, how do I go from being a yes person to being an amen person? And as I just wrestled with that over the course of a few days, I was drawn back to the words of that teacher in high school. Amen means so be it. And I'll never forget one of the most just life-altering things that happened for my wife and I when we were just dating was sitting in the car after church that night and I looked at her a couple weeks later and I said, I figured out what that word meant. It's time for me to stop just believing that God has a purpose for my life and it's time for me to start being that purpose. It's time for me to stop just saying yes and it's time for me to start saying amen, so be it, or in other words, I will be it in my life. I believe that's what God is calling each and every one of us to. So I want to meet you there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and illustrate this a little bit further. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and I'm hoping I have some time at the end to kind of come back and put this in context because I think it will help to tie some things together here. But the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1. Look at verse 20. For all the promises of God in him, in Jesus, are Yes. In other words, the promises of God are fact. They are truth. They are absolute. Once they're put out there, they cannot be taken back because the promises that God has made are yes. And in him, amen to the glory of God through us. Everybody say that with me. Through us. 
The picture that I want to show to you here is that God has made promises to you and I throughout Scripture that are for our lives. And his promises are yes, they are absolute, but the amen is to be spoken by us. And the picture that we see here is this picture and this idea that God wants to be in partnership with us. And I want to read another passage to you real quick that will help illustrate this. This is what it says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 4. Peter wrote these words. He said that God has made us exceedingly great and precious promises that through them we might be partakers of his divine nature. In other words, the promises that God has made to us are opportunities for us to partner with him to partake in the divinity of God. Does that make sense to everybody? Every promise that God extends to us through his word is a yes. It's up to us to take it and say, amen, so be it, that truth, let it be done in my life. And when we choose to do that, it's a step of faith that gives us the opportunity to be partakers of the divine God. That's an amazing thing. But I want to look at this first verse, that, that one that we looked at in 2 Corinthians, and I want to show you three other examples of this from different translations of the partnership that's taking place here. Look at what it says, 2 Corinthians 1 again, verse 20. This is what it says in the New Living. For all of God's promises has, have been fulfilled in Christ with the resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Now look at it in the NIV. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And then finally, look at this in the Amplified. And for those of you that don't know, the Amplified version is sometimes called the women's translation because it uses twice as many words. <clears throat> some of you were like, some of the guys were like, why does my wife read the Amplified? There you go. Come on, you can laugh with me. This is what it says in the Amplified. It says, for as many as are the promises of God, they all find their yes, their answer in him, Christ. For this reason, we also utter the amen, or so be it, to God through him, in his person and by his agency, to the glory of God. I wanted to read this to you in four different translations for one simple purpose, because it is important for us to understand that God is looking for people to partner with. It's not enough for us to look at the promises of God and say, well, those are some good promises, and I sure wish that those would happen in my life. No, God wants those promises to unfold in your life. He's looking for some people that will look at his promise and say, yes, and so be it in my life. Because it's not just about believing that those are good promises. It's about stepping into and walking into those promises by saying, amen, so be it in my life. Is everybody with me so far? Okay, so how do we do that? How do we go about doing that? I wanted to pick out a few of the promises of God that many of us would be familiar with. And, you know, if you're newer to church, if you're newer to the Bible or following Christ, you might not be familiar with these promises. And let me tell you, that's cool. We're so happy that you're here today. And I think jumping into these maybe for the first time is just going to turn some lights on in your relationship with God. But I want to walk through a few promises of God and talk about what it means to have a so be it or an amen walk in our lives. Now, here's number one. Look at Philippians chapter 4. In verse 19, we'll have this on the screen for you. Philippians 4 and verse 19. This is Paul again. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. 
So right here we see Paul, through inspiration of God, making a promise to us that God will supply our every need. How many people are familiar with this verse? It's a great promise to hold on to. When I look at this verse, I love to think that no matter what's going on in my life, I can look to God to supply my every need according to his riches and glory. Now, I want to focus in on a word for just a moment. Can we put that verse back up on the screen? Okay. I want to look at that word supply. And my God shall supply. I think each and every one of us know what it's like. Maybe you've experienced this in the past. Maybe you're walking through it right now. I think each and every one of us in our lives know what it's like to reach the end of our supply. Anybody been there? Where you say, God, I don't feel like I have enough time. I don't feel like I have enough energy. I don't feel like I have enough resource. I don't feel like I have enough money. I think we've all been there, many of us, most of us at some point in our life. I mean, I was thinking about this earlier. If you get paid on the 15th and the 31st, have you ever like looked at your bank account and seen that it was nearly zero or in the negative and it's like the ninth? And you're like, dear God, how am I going to get through the next five days? And you start scrapping together your resources trying to figure out how to do it. Can I tell you, I've been there. I've been there, and I feel like it wasn't that long ago. And I look back, and, you know, I'm so grateful because I, I did probably the same thing most of you did. I call some people, maybe my parents, a family member, a friend that I thought can help me. Hey, can you help me out for these next few days? I promise you I'll get back to you, but just I, I need a little bit of help to get through this time. I think we've all been there. All of us have needed some help before. We found this place where our supply had run out. And I look back, and can I just tell you this, and I'm going to use a lot of personal examples today because I feel like God's just put a lot of this in my heart personally. But I remember, for example, after getting married, okay, listen, we were broke, like way broke, like negative broke. And I look back, and when you go through seasons where you feel like your supply has run short, it really has this way of crippling you with fear. And if, I know the ladies experience this too, but for the guys, we have this way, especially if we're like low on funds, if we are low on, man, it does something to our self-esteem. I feel worthless. I feel like I'm not good enough. Why is this happening to me? Why am I experiencing this? Like in and of myself, am I not strong enough? And when we reach the end of our supply and we feel like we have nothing, sometimes the biggest mistake that we do is to do nothing. For example... Have you ever been low on money and low on gas and you don't get paid for three or four more days and you think, I don't know how I'm going to get to work, so I might just call in sick the next two days. <laughs> and we say, I'm not going to use even the last little something that I have to go to work. I'm not going to reach out to a friend for a ride. I'm not going to try to catch a carpool. I'm not going to try to check out the bus schedule and see if I can get there cheaper on the bus. I just choose to do nothing because it feels as though I have nothing. I want to tell you something today. God is looking for people who will take the very last thing that they can give and say, God, this is all I got. I choose to give it to you because I know that you can do more with the little that I have than what I can do with it on my own. And I want to give you a couple examples of this in a second. But I think it's so important for us to understand that we see all throughout Scripture where God chooses to work with people who give him something rather than people who give him nothing. If you look at the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed, it was turning water into wine. It says that they ran out of wine. Jesus didn't say, bring me the empty wine jugs and I'm going to put wine into them. He said, no, take the empty wine jugs and put water in them. Give me something 
because I can work with something. But so often when we find ourselves at the end of our supply, we find ourselves in a place of lack, we say, God, I got nothing, so I can't give you anything. And God says, come on, you can find something. If you can give me something, then I can do something. If you're at a place right now where you feel as though your supply is running low, what is the last thing that you can give to God that he can bless? Because when we find ourselves at the end of our road, that is usually the time when we find ourselves at the beginning of God's. Come on, are you with me this morning? Everybody needs to understand. I mean, look at, look at Jesus. When Jesus fed the 5,000, it's amazing how Jesus didn't make food out of nothing. He looked at a little boy and said, give me those two fish and those five loaves. And suddenly 5,000 were fed. When we feel, again, like we are at the end of our supply, that's always the beginning of God's. And I don't want to just focus in on money. I want to say this and give you some other examples, okay? I'll go back to when I got married again. Being a broke newlywed. I remember before Ashley and I got married, I had bought a car. It was a few years old when I bought it, but I had this car. It was the nicest car that I had ever owned. I loved that car. And we thought that we had our budget all figured out, but, you know, a few weeks into marriage, and let's just say we hadn't stuck to our budget very well. And we realized that our budget wasn't exactly correct. And there was no good reason at that time in our lives for us both to have a car payment. We could not afford it. So I looked at the equity I had in my car, and I looked at the equity she had in hers, and I said, the only thing that makes sense is for me to sell my car, because we have some equity in it, stop making that payment, pay off a few bills. But wait, I love that car. That's really going to mess with me to get rid of that car. I mean, I, I love that car. And not only that, how am I going to get to work? And after wrestling with this for weeks, I finally put my car up for sale. I sold that car, and I did something that really, really messed with my pride. I bought a bike. Like, not a motorbike, a... <laughs> because I lived about three or four miles from work. I was fortunate in that regard. Looking back, that was a luxury. That was a blessing that I lived that close to work because when I chose to buy a bike, I spent a little over a year riding my bike to work every day. And I had to deal with my coworkers like, dude, are you going to ride a bike to work every day? Because when it's hot, you come in sweaty, and when it rains, you come in wet. But you know what? That was what I had to do for a season of life. And I look back, and can I tell you that that was one of the most humbling experiences of my life because the thing that I learned was when I felt like I had nothing, I found the something that I could give to God. And I chose to make a sacrifice. I chose to ride my bike. This sounds funny to some of you because you're like, dude, that ain't nothing compared to what I'm going through. And that's probably true. But I chose, God, this is the one thing I have. And so I rode my bike to work for a little over, the, over a year. And then a year later, somebody gave us a car and we had two cars and I didn't have to ride my bike anymore. And I look back at that, and the thing that I find is that when I feel crippled with fear, like I have nothing, I need to find the something that I can give to God for him to bless. See, the promise from God is that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. That's a yes promise. The way it becomes an amen and so be it is when I say, I believe it, God, so now I'm going to walk it out. I'm going to do something with the something that I got. What is the something that you can give to God? I could spend more time here, but we need to move forward. I don't want to run out of time today. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to go to the next thing. This is the second promise I want to focus on. 2 Corinthians 12. This is what it says in verse 9. And he said to me, this is Paul again, and God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me that the power of Christ may rest upon me in the midst 
of my infirmities. We have this promise from God that his grace will be sufficient for us. Now here's what I want to spend some time talking about in this. This word sufficient, I love it. The root word of sufficient is suffice. The grace that God gives us will suffice for the need that we have. How many people here could raise your hand right now and say, I am believing God for some really, really big things? Oh, come on, raise it high because I'm with you, all right? If you are believing God for some really big things, I think that's amazing. You know why? Because God is a big God. So ask big. Look big. Have big desires. Have big dreams because God is a big God who put many of those big desires and big dreams in your heart. Why not ask big when God is big? But it's interesting from my walk with God, one of the things that I've experienced is that there are many times when God doesn't give me everything I'm praying for yet, but he gives me the sufficient amount every step of the way. Now, we said in the last, in point number one, in the last verse, we said that God would supply our needs, right, according to his riches and his glory. Here's the thing about God's riches and God's glory, okay? Listen, think of the richest person you've ever heard of the most blessed, you know, abundant living person that you could possibly think of. The riches and the glory that God has far surpasses anything that you and I could ever wrap our head around. And if God were to empty his riches and glory, if God were to empty his bank account and put it in yours, there's a really good possibility that you and I would mess this thing up really bad. Because what I'm discovering along my walk with God is that at every single step along the way, God gives me the sufficient amount of grace because when he gives me sufficient grace for today, it allows me to trust him again tomorrow. You know, Hebrews 11 talks about how without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? God wants us to get to this place where we are walking and taking every step in faith. Every single step along the way, we take it in faith. And if you've been walking with God for a long time, I know many of you could, man, you could look back and you could say, that's me. You look back and you just see God's faithfulness, like this track record of trust where you say every step along the way, yes, I might have had a need, but God's grace was sufficient for my need in every single season. It gets you to this place where when you look back and you say, God, you've always met my need, and you might not give me everything that I'm dreaming about today and everything that I'm asking for today, but I know that I can trust you and you're going to give me the sufficient thing that I need every single day of my life. You know, pastor uses this analogy sometimes and it's pretty funny because it's so true. He talks about how many Christians, you know, we go and we buy lottery tickets hoping to hit the jackpot so that we can stop trusting God. Can I tell you the most dangerous place you can be? is in a place where you are, you are no longer trusting God. And even if that means that you're in a place today where you're like, God, I have, you know, this insufficiency in my life, God's saying, yeah, but I got sufficient grace for that need. And walking with me and learning to trust me is the most beautiful thing that you could ever do with your life. What did we say? That without faith, it's impossible to please God. I think God gives us a little bit at a time, and God says, come on, come on, I'm leading you home. Come on, I'm going to get you there. Trust me today. Trust me today because you'll trust me today Then you can trust me tomorrow. I believe that God wants to do that in all of our lives. He gives us the sufficient grace. We could spend a little bit more time here, but when it comes to walking that out, I, I want to just say this finally because, you know, I asked how many of you are believing God for big things. My wife and I, we, we've got a few big things that we're believing God for. At the end of last year, I felt like God impressed it upon me so strongly. Okay, Zach. I got big things that I want to give you, but are you managing and stewarding the little things that you have right now so that you can be entrusted with the big things I have for you later? 
Can I tell you something? God's not going to give you everything you ever asked for now if it means that you're going to stop trusting him later. And I felt like the word for us at the end of last year coming into this year was stewardship and management. Are you able to steward the sufficient grace that God has already given you so that you'll be able to manage and handle the bigger things that you're asking him for? That's a big one right there, isn't it? It hurts to stop and say, okay, am I really managing? It, it, it hurts to look in the mirror and say, am I mismanaging this? I'll brag on Pastor Gary. You know, he's my dad if you didn't know that. But he's my dad, and so I'm bragging on him a little bit. But my dad is the king of turning off lights, okay? Like, growing up, the house was always dark. Like, dad's walking through the house looking for a light to turn off, you know? And if you, our staff knows this. Like, dad's the king of turning off lights. And I remember this one day I was going to lunch with dad, and you know, we, throughout this building, there are automatic lights that turn off when you leave the room. Now, there's a delay there, but the delay is not good enough. Dad's like, we got to turn that off now. And I was giving him a hard time about it one day when we went to lunch, and I'm like, you are the king of turning off lights. And he looked, literally, he looked at me and he said, yeah, well, if you went through the financial hardship that we went through as a church a few years ago, you'd be turning off all the lights too. And the very next thing that he said to me was he said, faithful and little, you'd be given much. Tell you what, that same principle applies to something as small as turning off the lights in this building. Because if you only knew what it costs to run the electricity in this place. But listen, I, I say that halfway jokingly, but very seriously. That left such an impression on me because I began to understand, okay, God, if, if I want bigger things from you, then you're probably trying to tell me that I need to make sure I'm managing and stewarding the smaller things that I already have. How do we walk that out? Stewardship management. God says, I got bigger things for you, but make sure you're taking good care of the little things that you already had. Jesus taught the disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give me the sufficient amount that I need, God. You look at God back in the Old Testament. He gave manna from heaven to give them the sufficient thing that they needed. If they tried to gather more than what they needed for this day, it just rotted away. God says, no, I got the sufficient grace for you. I'm not saying I don't believe in abundance. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to prosper you. He does. But I want to tell you this, God doesn't give an abundance to selfish, greedy people. God will give an abundance to people who know how to manage and steward the little that he's already given them. Amen? Amen. That was a hard one, I know. That was a tough one. Let's go to the next one, okay? Look at Romans chapter 8. This is the third promise. How do we walk out a yes and amen life with God when it comes to his promises? Romans chapter 8. Verse 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So we have this promise here. Again, Paul, divinely inspired by God, that God has promised that all things will work together for our good if we are in God and called according to his purpose. I want to start by talking a little bit about all things working together for good. You know, I look back over the course of my life, and I can think about some bad things that have happened to me. I can think about some bad decisions that I've made. I can think about times where I made decisions with absolutely zero wisdom, and I paid the price for those decisions. I think some of you would say, been there. No? All right. And what, <laughs> bought the t-shirt? Throw it away, burn it. But here's the thing. When Scripture says that God makes all things work together for good, he's, what he's really saying is God takes the bad things and somehow brings in a good outcome. And 
the picture that I want to paint for you here is simply this. A lot of us, when we look at the bad things, the mistakes, the things that we've done or the things that have happened to us, what we want is we want for God to take that magic eraser and just make it go away. But what scripture is saying isn't that God takes the bad things and erases them and makes them go away. Can't you still remember the things that happened, the things that you did, the choices that you made? I think God allows us to remember it so that we don't repeat our mistakes. But what's beautiful about this is that it's not saying that God takes the bad things and makes them go away. He says he takes the bad things that could have only had a negative or evil outcome and somehow makes them work for good. And I want to make this statement to everybody here that you hear this today. Only God can do that. Only God can take a mess and make a masterpiece out of it. It's like if you were to see an artist who say, I'm going to make the most beautiful piece of art, the most beautiful masterpiece you've ever seen. But when you find out that I made it all out of trash, you're going to be shocked. Because each individual piece of trash means nothing. It's like this stinky, smelly thing that's taken up space in our life. And I don't like it. And I, it's clutter in my life. And I don't, even want it to, I don't want to be anywhere near it. But God has a way of taking the mess, taking the trash sometimes of our life and, taking the, and making this beautiful masterpiece out of it where we look back and we say, wow, God, I couldn't have done that. How did you take the mess that I made and make a masterpiece out of it? It's because he makes all things work together for good. How can you take a negative and a negative and make it into a positive? It defines the laws of, of math and science and physics. It's because God has a way of taking all things and making all things work together for good. I don't know how he does it. All I know is that he's the only one that can do it. And, you know, I look back in my life, and you've heard Pastor Gary talk a little bit about nearly 20 years ago, we went through crazy stuff in our family where it just felt like rock bottom, like life was starting over. And I'll never forget when I was 23, many of you know my story, but when I was 23 years old and I saw that God was putting back together my family's lives and my life was still a mess, I began to realize that God had a purpose for their life and it meant that he must still have a purpose for mine too. And I say, God, all I have is this mess around me. And God says, just give me your mess. Just give me your mess because I can take all things and make all things work together for good. Even those things that which could only have had a negative outcome and I can make them work for good. And here's the beauty of what it looks like when God makes all things work together for good. You know, a lot of us, when we go through hurt and loss and pain and stuff that's happened to us in our past, we have a way of looking back and saying, well, we have a way of being enslaved to those things that happen, you know, and we look back and we say, well, if only things hadn't happened way back then, because I look back at what could have been, and I look back at what should have been, and I look back at what would have been if all that other stuff hadn't happened. And I think that God has this way of when he makes all things work together for good, we get to the end of it. And I can honestly tell you, and I mean this sincerely from my heart, that I look back at what God has done in my life and in our family over the last nearly 20 years, and I say, God, I don't know if I would trade what you did with our mess and what I have today with what could have been yesterday. Because I look back at the mess and I'm like, had it not been for the mess, I don't know that I would have ever met my wife. Had it not been for the mess, I'm not sure I would have ever found my calling in God's house when I did. I mean, it, had it not been for the mess, I'm not sure, so sure that I'm at the Bridge Church right now, this moment, today. 
And many of us, we have stories like that. And when we look back, the thing that we have to give God glory for is that only he could have taken that kind of a mess and turned it into a beautiful work of art. Your life and my life. Only God can do that. But when it comes to that walking it out and finding that and having that amen perspective, how does that happen? God makes all things work together for good for those who love him and who are the called according to his purpose. I want to say to you today, you are called of God. He has a purpose for your life. The thing that's crazy about the call of God is that Scripture could call it anything else, right? It could just call it purpose. It could just call it destiny. But we see throughout Scripture this phrase, the call of God. Why is it called the call of God? Because a call demands a response. The call that God has for your life is like this voice or this thing that's always tugging at your heart. The Spirit of God always talking to you saying, I have a purpose, I have a call, I have a destiny for your life. But here's the thing, it's only a voice that calls our name unless we turn one day and respond to it. And I can tell you firsthand as somebody who responded to that call and realized that it was God that had a purpose for my life. And when I recognized, God, you have a purpose, I was able to turn and say, here's my mess. And God says, okay, let me go to work with it now. That's how we, that's how we walk that out. And you might be in this place where you're searching out, God, how how do I fix the mess that I've made of my life? How do I fix what's happened? How do I go back to what could have been, what should have been, what might have been, had all that stuff never happened? And God's like, don't even worry about what could have been. Don't even worry about what should have been or what might have been. Just give me the one thing that you have. Just give me your mess because I got a call. I got a purpose. I got a destiny for your life. You know, it seems like every single person I've talked to and I've met that is able to look back and give a testimony like that, they can say, Man, my life was such a mess. But somehow I held out hope that God could still do something with this life, with my life. And when I turned and I gave it to him and said, God, I'm like rock bottom. I don't have anything else. All all I seem to have is the mess. And I've made this mess and it's ugly and it stinks and it's clutter in my life. And God, it seems like I ought to be able to give you something better than that. And God's like, that's all I need. Because I can take all things and I can make all things work together for good. All the things that we have going on in our life that we think only have negative outcomes and negative consequences, the mistakes that we've made, the things that have happened to us, the way that we've been victimized, the bad choices, the bad decisions, the, the places where we lacked wisdom. God says, give me those things, the mess that you've made, and watch me make a masterpiece out of it. See, the promise of God is that he'll make all things work together for good. That's the yes A promise from God in heaven is a yes. The way it becomes amen is when we say, I believe it. Now, I'll be it. So be it. I'll walk it out. Let it be done in my life on this earth to the glory of God. I wanted to say all this this message to you this morning because I think the best way to kind of capsulize this is at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this book to the Corinthians because he'd already visited them once and Paul was this very influential, as you know, most of you know, he was this very influential figure. People just looked to him like he was speaking the words of God. He was directing the church. He was helping to build the early church. And he wanted to come back and visit the Corinthians again, but he had to write them a letter because persecution was coming and hitting the church. There was all kinds of reasons why he couldn't come. And if he were to have gone back to see the Corinthian church again, he would have probably brought a lot of this persecution with him. So he writes this letter and he says, Guys, I'm so sorry that I can't come. I'm unable to come and see you because of some stuff that's happened, some things that have come up. 
And Paul understood that because he was the carrier of the word of God to these people, he, he essentially was showing them who Jesus was. He said, I don't want you guys to think that when I promised you I was coming back, that as a spokesman of God, I don't want you to think that God's promises are yes, but then later on they're no. So I'm writing you this letter to tell you that all of the promises of God are yes, and through us, amen. I'm sorry that I can't come and see you, but I need you to know, I need you to understand that all the promises of God always come to pass. It's up to us to see them, to walk it out, to so be it, and to see it happen in our lives. And Paul understood this responsibility of the promise, and he wanted to make sure that the Corinthian people understood it as well. You say, why are you telling us this, Zach? Because when you look back at these three promises that we've talked about today, God has promised to supply every need that we have according to his riches and glory. The world around us needs to see that all of the promises of God aren't just yes, but they are amen when we choose to trust God to be our source. The world around us needs to see that God's word is true, that all of his promises come to pass. The second thing was that God has promised that his grace would be sufficient for us. The world around us, around us needs to see the testimony of God's sufficient grace in our life so that they will know that he can meet them right where they are as well. And then finally, God has promised that all things will work together for good. The world around us needs to see the mess that we gave God and the masterpiece that he made out of it and know that he can do the same thing in their life as well. This morning, maybe you're here and feel like life's become a mess. You wonder how it could ever become that masterpiece that you dreamed it would one day become. You wonder how you could ever walk out a purposeful life when it feels as though the mess that you've made could only have negative consequences. You might be in a place here today where you feel like you are so far from God and to come back to him and bring your mess with you, he wouldn't accept you. God made us another promise. He promised that he would never leave us, he would never forsake us, and that he would be with us even to the very end of the age. Scripture tells us that none of us are perfect, that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's perfection. And today if you're here and you feel like you are nothing but imperfect, I want to tell you that God has a way of taking our imperfection, putting it in Jesus and saying, I got a life for you. I got purpose for you. I got a call for you. I got destiny. I got forgiveness. I got salvation. And I have eternal life for you. Maybe you're here today and you've been far from God and you feel like it's time to come home. I want to tell you the best decision you could ever make is to put your faith in God today. Let your sin, let your past, let your mistakes be put under the blood and nailed to the cross and see God do amazing things that you could never ever do in and through yourself. Would you bow your head with me this morning? I believe with all of my heart that there are people here today that you're weighing eternity. You're weighing your walk with God. You're weighing where it is that you stand with God right now. I want to tell you that God made promises to you as well. He promised that the free gift of God will be eternal life in Christ Jesus if we would simply choose to put our faith in him. And today, if you've never made a decision to put your faith in Jesus, you might feel as though there's condemnation waiting for you when you came into this place, but I want to tell you that the loving arms of a heavenly father are awaiting you to run into them today. No matter how far you've been, what you've done, or how you might feel, he's just waiting for you to come home. 
today, if you feel like you need to come home or maybe you need to make that decision for the very first time, I would love to give you an opportunity to step in to a relationship with God which comes with forgiveness, which comes with salvation. All we have to do is choose to accept him and then to follow Jesus with our lives and, and discover the very best that he has for us. We're gonna pray a prayer in just a moment all together right out loud. We're not gonna put anybody on the spot. We're not gonna embarrass anybody. We're not here to do that today. But we simply wanna give you an opportunity and an invitation to walk into a relationship with God. We do it by saying words, a prayer to God that's a commitment and meaning it with everything inside of us. That's our first step. And then from there, we choose to walk out a relationship with Jesus as a follower and a disciple of his. I wanna ask everybody to repeat these words after me. And if you wanna make a commitment in your heart for the very first time, or maybe a recommitment today, just simply mean it with everything that's inside of you and repeat these words after me. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you for dying for me, for taking my place on the cross, and paying a price that I could not afford. Today I choose you. I want you. I want your salvation. I want your forgiveness now in my life. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. I want your purpose and I want your peace. And I wanna follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to pray one more prayer, just with heads bowed for one more moment. If you're here today and you are believing God for some things in your life, if there are big things that you are believing God for today, there are things that you're holding on to. You haven't seen it all come to pass just yet, but you're holding on in faith. You're believing the words that God has spoken already in your situation. I want to pray for you. God, I pray that you would encourage people today as they take steps of faith to continue to believe, to continue to hope, and to walk that out, to have a so be it mentality, to live it out every single day as though it has already come to pass. Father, we trust you at your word. We know that it never returns void. So we put our faith in you today. And I pray that you would encourage people, God, that people would find answers, God, that they would find you meeting them right in the midst of their faith and their belief and in their walk today, God. And I pray that the things that they're holding on to, your words, would not just be belief that gets stuck in their heart, but it would become faith that makes its way to their hands and to their feet, and that they would walk this thing out with a faith and a confidence that you are going to come through for them. God, I pray that you would help us to steward and manage the blessing that you've already brought into our life, the provision, the sufficient grace that we already have. God, I pray that you would help us to manage that so that we could be good stewards of the bigger things that you have for us. God, we honor you today. We thank you, Father, that your word is always true and that you are always faithful. God, we take your word and your promises as a yes, and we choose to say amen. So be it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hey, this morning, if you made that decision for the first time to step into a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you recommitted your life to him, I just want to let you know that we would love to help you start your walk with God or start it again. And there's a simple way that we do that. We have a small book that's called The Next Seven Days, and we have some prayer teams and some people that would love to help you start that journey. If you made that decision today, I want to give you a personal invitation to come and pick up a copy of The Next Seven Days, and there's two different ways that you can get it. 
Right after service, we're going to have some prayer teams right down front here. These prayer teams are here, obviously, to pray with people if you have a need. But maybe you made that decision today. You need to tell somebody. Let somebody know. Today, I made a decision. We want to help you start that journey. And let them know, hey, I made a decision and I want to get the book. We'll give it to you. It's just a simple week-long devotional to get you started in your walk with God. Because we believe that we should be here to walk this thing out with you. We don't want to leave you there alone to try to figure it out. We're a church family. We want to walk out this relationship with God with you. So please stop by. Come see one of the prayer teams. If you need to go quickly, you can go out to the next seven days desk. It's between the exit doors out in the foyer. Just let them know I made a decision. I want to pick up the book. They'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you today, but if we can help you in any way, that's why we're here because we want to help you start your walk with God. Can we put our hands together this morning and welcome some new people into God's family? Amen. Well, hey, I hope you've been blessed by the word this morning that it hit home and encouraged you in your walk, no matter what it is that's happening in your life. Very last thing I want to say before we go this morning is that we have youth camp coming up in just a few short weeks. We have many students that are already registered. Um, but every year we always have people in the church who say, hey, I would love to sponsor a kid to go to youth camp. And if that's you, if you would like to sponsor a kid to go to youth camp, we have many teenagers who maybe need a scholarship or need a, a little bit of financial aid in order to get there. We have a table that's set up out in front of the youth center in the foyer. So if you exit these doors and turn left, we have a team that's there. And uh, if you have it in your heart, maybe you just have some extra and you're looking for a place to sow that good seed, I want to tell you that sponsoring a kid to go to youth camp is a great place to do that. Youth camp changed my life when I was growing up. So if you have it in your heart to do that, I would encourage you to do it. Stop by. We would love for you to, to do that and give you that opportunity. You've been blessed being in church this morning. Amen. Hey, we love you. Have a great week. Stay cool. And we'll see you again next Sunday.